All right, Zig coming in on the top. Today on the show, we have Hamey from Heavy Petten. Hamey is a singer-songwriter, the front man of uh, Heavy Petten, and Heavy Petten was a Scotland-based heavy metal band that made the break in 1981. And they toured with some of the biggest acts in rock, like Ozzy, Kiss, Motley Crue, just to name a few. But sadly, after the third record, they disbanded. And uh, now they're back. In 2023, we're getting a new Heavy Petten record. Hemi tells us all about it. Before we get to our conversation, we're going to listen to a track that's going to be on that record. Here is Roll the Dice by Heavy Petten. <laughs>
the Dice, Heavy Petting, available now on all streaming platforms. It's accompanied by two other songs, and uh, Not Holding Back. If you listen to their early records, this is right there with it. Um, before we get to our conversation, if you guys can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on any of the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to cool guests like Hemi and sharing their insight with you. So without further ado, here we go. Here's my conversation with Hemi. Well, to jump into it, my first question is, uh, where, like, what led up to Weeper? Oh, shit. Uh, well, we were all in school together, and uh, which was kind of weird. We're all, especially Gary and Gordon and Brian were all in the same class, I think it was. And we were on Punky and I were totally away for all that. So they put a band together called Weeper. And uh, one of their uh, their original guitar player left. And I was playing in a different band. Punky was playing in a different band. And then we get in touch. They get in touch with me asking, hey, we're looking for a singer instead of, because Gordon used to be the singer. He was a guitar player singer. So they were wanting somebody wanted to be a front man kind of singer, and so they just you know heard about me and that kind of stuff. So uh, so I went down and, and jammed with those guys in a pub, and uh, in fact, if I, if I remember correctly, the first song we ever did was "Breaking the Law" nice. by Judas Priest. So that was pretty neat, and which is kind of crazy because we ended up playing with them later on down the line, which was kind of surreal, but. Uh, but so that was cool. And then so I get so I get the gig, I ended up joining them, and then we brought Punky in as another guitar player. And we we played in Glasgow for uh maybe about a few months, and then I, I hated the name, absolutely hated the name, and told them we need to keep on changing the name, and it was always one of those things. Well, if you come up with something better, then that's we'll change it. And I was like, okay, shit, okay. So eventually I came up and I said, hey, let's just call the band Heavy Pen. And they were like, what? They're like, okay. So then we changed it to Heavy Pen and then it stuck from that point on. Then we had to come up with a logo and all the, the font for the names and all that kind of stuff. But uh, So that's how we changed the name. Did you guys do all that? Like the logo design? Yeah, stuff? yeah. Yes. No, that was us. Yeah, that was us that did it, yeah. That was everybody coming up with ideas of how we wanted it. And I always wanted it to look like that kind of Chinese, kind of Oriental writing kind of thing. And uh, so so we ended up working at different things. Then eventually, you know, we had a great, we, we did it great by ourselves. But obviously when we signed it, the record deal uh, to the record label, then obviously we get the chance to work with proper people to do it properly and, you know, and, and really work with the, the artist on it. I mean, the, all the artwork and, and get the logo exactly the way we wanted it. So... Nice. Well, you know, it's like that's one of those part of the band name is how cool can I draw it? You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's got to be cool <laughs> enough to draw. I know. If, it look, if it looks good, we're in. <laughs> <laughs> so before, like, even before I guess getting up to that, your brother was in a Motown band, right? So it was singing. Oh like, no, 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 no. He was. Uh, he just. My brother's older than me, so when I grew up listening to music, yeah, uh, John just used to listen to Motown all the time. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, no, that was his deal. He listened, so that was the kind of first music I listened to as a kid. Got it. Growing up was uh, was all the Motown stuff, and then the Beatles and Rolling Stones, all that stuff that he get into in the sixties. And uh, then when obviously when I got older, once I was like 10, 11, and I get into my own thing. In the, in the 70s and all that kind of stuff, it was like uh, I was into all the stuff that was going in, like Free, 
Mm. Uh, you know, yeah. all day, you know, that kind of stuff. And then, and then really all the glam stuff that was happening in Britain at the time, you know, because you had Slade, uh, David Bowie, uh, Sweet, Roxy Music, and all that kind of stuff. So I was, I was Queen, obviously Queen came yeah. along in 73. So I was into all that kind of stuff. And then later on, obviously ACDC came 75, I think. I get into them and then Priest later on and UFO and stuff like that. So, And, like, were you, like, were you singing when you were, like... Yeah, no, I, well, yeah, yeah, no, no, not at that time when I was growing up. In fact, it was like, this is a weird story. It's a long story, so I'll cut it short. But uh, when I was in school, it was like... Because what we do in, in Britain is, is, is different from uh, what happens in America, I think. It's like we go to primary school like at five, five years old, and you're in that same class. We, you're in with the same people until you leave to go to uh, secondary school, which you guys call high school, at 12 years old. So before I turned 12, on my, on my 12th birthday, I, I, I left and went to high school or secondary school, as we call it. And so I was sitting, so a couple of years into secondary school, I was like 14, something like that, and we were sitting in a French class, and some guy said he wanted to start a band, and everybody's like raising their hands and all that kind of stuff, yeah, saying, okay, yeah. who wants to be the singer? Who wants to be the drummer? Who wants to be the guitar player? So I was raising my hand for everything, yeah. even, though, even though I'd never done it. I'd never played. I mean, it was so stupid. But so the, the only thing that was left was the singer. And so I put my hand up for the singer and he goes, okay, Haney's the singer. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then I realized I don't know how to fucking sing. You know, I mean, I'd never sang before. And uh, so it got around school that I was a singer in the band. <laughs> so that's how Gordon and we all met each other. And later on down the line, it was like, well, Haney's a singer. Let's see. He's not singing with anybody. Let's call him. And then that's when I went and started singing. But by then, I'd been singing in, a, in different bands. But it started off when I was like 13, 14. Everybody thought I was a singer, and I'd never sang a word in my life. So <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because singing is a very vulnerable thing to start. Like, Oh, yeah. Being yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of works yeah. with kids a lot. Like, or even yeah. just my own, like, venture into it. It's like one of yeah. those things that you're really like, um, like uh, kind of protective about because like, oh, it's going to sound bad. So in that way, yeah. you kind of just jump into it and like have it. it yeah, it is. It's so free. It is. It's, uh, and most people don't like their voice. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I've, I've never liked my voice. And so it's, it's kind of weird that when you go and sing and I don't know, it's just, it's just kind of strange. I remember the first song I had to go down yeah. to the guys that, the first song I ever sang with these guys at school that heard I was a singer said, okay, come down to this church at four o'clock yeah. on a Sunday or whatever time it was. And so I went, I went down there with a friend of mine and, uh, and we're laughing going, you're never going to get through with this. You don't even sing. You know what I mean? You can, you just got to walk in there and I'm like, shit, yeah, let's go. And, uh, and so I went in and they're, and they're up there, they've got all their gear set up and you know, they're the same age as me, but obviously these guys have been playing for years yeah. as I get, player or a drummer or whatever and uh and i went in and they said well do you know this song and i'm like yeah i know that song and which funny enough i did because it, it was a paul mccartney and wings song yeah. it was called it was called hell on wheels and uh, 
And I re- funny how I remember that, but uh, that was the first song I ever sang. They said, okay, well, let's start. Yeah. And I just started singing it. And everybody's like, oh, that's cool. And I'm looking at my buddy, and my buddy's sitting there looking at me going, fuck. <laughs> He's like, you can sing. I'm like, can I? I was like, okay, well, that's cool. So, but I, to, I mean, that's a God's honest truth. I had yeah. never sang before that day. Wow. Wow. You know, it was yeah. a weirdest thing. It was just like, oh, yeah, I'll go. It was just like, I've got, you know what I mean? If you get the balls to do it, okay, let's go do it, you know? Yeah, well, I, so. think, I think it takes that that kind of like whatever, a no fear of failure type thing. And these yeah. are just kids from school. What's it matter? You know, how's that going to go? Like, I yeah. mean, as a kid, you're like, it means everything. But like, and like when, because like to learn your rate, you can get so mechanical about it. And I love getting into the mechanics of how all that works. And like, yeah. maybe because like that was my like benchmark of knowing, oh, I'm getting somewhere vocally because I can yeah. feel it. Cause I, I started as a guitar player. So I knew how that worked. You know, you push the <laughs> button or you push the fret, it plucks. You, It's a yeah. G every time. When you're singing, sometimes it's not always going to be a G. <laughs> yeah, gotta- it's not always going to be a G. Yeah. <laughs> but, Definitely. Um, that's incredible. So from there, from there, that builds up to the Veeper, uh, Weeper story. Yeah, and that, that that I played in a few bands after that, and mostly with friends. But then when I, I got like sixteen, uh, we started playing in a band that was playing around Glasgow in the pubs and stuff like that. Even though you had to be eighteen to get in, we were yeah. all about sixteen, and and we leave school at sixteen, and in, in Scotland, you know what I mean. So you leave and I go to college, or else you go get a job, or do whatever. So I went to, I ended up going to work to become an engineer huh. and uh, leaving leaving uh, secondary school. And I hated every minute of it. So I would sing at nighttime yeah. and, and band. And so, and we were lucky enough that we were getting to play certain pubs and we'd go play clubs and stuff at six, because we're all the same age. We're all 16 years old. And uh, so I started doing that. And then eventually I was like, nah, I don't, I, I want to be a singer. I don't want to be a, an engineer or whatever. And so I would, I made that my full-time gig. And then I would get part-time jobs to supplement income and all that kind of stuff. But I'd always be singing at nighttime. And then obviously when I was 18, I ended up joining Weeper. And uh, then we started from there. So, so like in that, in that period, were you like trying to like, was it just more than just like singing? Like, did you notice like as you were taking it, doing it every night, that you were like vocal fatigue? Were you like learning? Oh yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, like everything. Because I think it's also uh, when you're younger, it's you don't really. I don't think you think about. I, I know that I never did. I never thought about fo- uh, vocal uh, fatigue or anything like that. It was like I guess because I was so young, I just went out and did it. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah. and. And it just it never I never had any problems like that. And I and I never thought about it. It wasn't until later on and we signed the record deal that uh they started saying they were gonna put me with a vocal coach. Huh. And I'm sitting going, What? They said, Yeah, we're gonna put you with this vocal coach and uh we'll do that and which was kind of funny because the first day I went to the vocal coach, uh it was me, Annie Lennox from the Eurythmics. Oh wow and uh, and Paul Young, this other singer from yeah. the 80s, and the three years were sitting in this room, and none of us had been to a vocal coach before. And we're all singing. <laughs> you know, we're all looking at each other, and we're all different kinds of music. And they're like, well, who sent you? And I'm like, the record label, who sent you? 
record label. So it was the weirdest thing. And, uh, and it wasn't like Envy was a bad singer. It was just like, well, you just need to be taught how to sing. Right, right. Is, you know, because sit and talk to them, like, okay, we're going to do an album, then you're going to do a tour, and these tours last for ever and a day. So your voice needs to be, you know, whereas when you're young like that, you're like, no, I'm fine. Yeah. I don't, you know what I mean? Nothing's going to happen to me. I'm going to keep on doing it. So I did it for a while. And then we left because we did the album and then went and tour. So I was away for like a year, a year after that. So to promote the album, touring around the world and stuff. So I never went back to the lady. I kept in touch with her and I had, she gave me a little uh, cassette tape. Yeah. And I would practice on that. And so every day in the, in the, wherever we played, whether it was a big club or an arena, then I would be in the bathroom with a little tape machine playing it and I would do my vocal exercises. You know, and I, and I still do the I, st I still do the exact same vocal uh, exercises to this day. That's well, I, like when I listen to your guys's past three records and then the new singles coming out, I'm like, there's nothing missing here. Like vocals are spot on, and so, you know when there's a big gap in between, usually you hear yeah. like a difference. And I was like, like roll the dice is just as rocking. I was like, what? Like yeah. that, that 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 had to become like. Uh, part of that practice because like you see guys like Dio or saw yeah. guys like Dio who like maintain that 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 well-oiled machine and were able to deliver every time and yeah. like so like was it like lip rolls and stuff like or was it just like scale no it was all it was all crazy stuff it was all basically so it was all scales all the time you know what I mean yeah yeah, yeah. and uh and so, which lasts like 20, 30 minutes. But then, obviously, over all the years, I've changed it to fit what I want to do as long as, and, and for that period. And it's so funny because, like you said earlier, it's such a mental thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I do these exercises every time before I sing. I do these exercises all the time, right? But uh, it's, uh, so I'm so used to doing it. And when I end up singing the high parts at the end, when I go through all the scales and get to the high parts, yeah. it's like, if I'm not hitting those high parts right, it totally mentally just throws me. Yeah. Because I'm, cause then I go, oh, shit, my voice. Something's up with my voice because I'm not hitting. It doesn't matter that I've played like 10 shows in a row or whatever. You, I don't think that, okay, my voice is just tired. Yeah. You know, I just think, mentally I just go to, oh, I'm not going to be able to sing because I can't hit that high note. And then I keep on doing it and doing it. And then once I get it, it's like it's like a breath of fresh air. It's like, ah, okay. And then five minutes later, I go sing. I go play. I hit the stage. But it is the weirdest thing. It mentally it screws with you. It screws with me anyway. Yeah, you yeah. Know? No, I totally, I totually understand that because I, I got the, I got the, the same type of CD of like <laughs> from a vocal from a, my teacher, like. And he he was a he fronted a Metallica and like a, a Megadeth cover band, so he was, you oh, know, wow. like the and like the sing and play that stuff is pretty wild. But like, so the like, so the they were hitting that type of like sustain as far as like, and they would tour. They were a touring cover band, which is wild. And like, wow. so like, and I noticed that same thing too when I go through that routine. If there's something up, you know right away. And then if you keep hitting it, it's like, yeah. It's insurance. Okay, I'll be able to get it. It is. You it's know? like, yeah, it is. It's that insurance thing so that you know if you've got it. It's like, it, it's so weird because it's like if I get through it all and, and I hit everything, everything perfect the way I normally do it in that practice, 
then it's like as soon as I finish, I'm just like walking on air and I'm just yeah. coming out the room and I'm like, okay, let's go. You know, there's nothing, there's no baggage. It's like, let's just go do it. But then if I have to work on it, then it starts mentally going with me and I'm going, okay, I'm going to have to watch how I hit these notes and do whatever. But then once I'm up there and I start singing, it usually works its way through it. But there, there is a point that it kind of freaks you out for a time, you know? So, okay. So, so you get signed and you're, you're in this, this pretty epic group of, uh, people going through this vocal lesson and one thing you know vocal like coaches and lessons i think are like it's not like a, like you're saying it's not like you can't sing it's like here's how you breathe properly so when you get into that like distorted range you don't yeah. you know it's like yeah. it, it makes sense for the record label i guess for as like insurance as far as like how you're gonna make it through the tour <laughs> like yeah <laughs> but um anyway so you guys um you become heavy petting and like yeah. you start the first album's out and like that first record when it's pitched, um, I don't know if I got the story right, but you guys are in a rehearsal room and someone's, a group's coming in to check it out. And when the lights come on or when you guys look at who it is, oh, it's yeah, Brian yeah, yeah, May that was uh, in Members we, of Queen. Yeah, yeah. We signed to, uh, we signed our publishing deal first. We signed to Warner Brothers first. And, uh, <clears throat> and Robin Godfrey Cass was like the new kid on the block for Warner Brothers. He'd already just signed Def Leppard and a bunch of other people. So he was like up and coming because all the acts that he was signing were taken off. Yeah. And uh, so uh, so Robin, we were sitting talking to Robin and and he's like, well, I know who, who we should get to do your album. And we're like, well, who? He goes, we're going to get Brian May. And we were like, and we were all Queen fans, you know yeah. what I mean? And we were sitting there going, what? And he's like, yeah, we're going to get Brian Mayville or that. Well, good luck with that kind of thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we just, so we were all based in London and then we were rehearsing in London and uh, we're in this big studio, rehearsal studio. And I'm just like, I'm sure you've been in one. It's just massive. And it's like when you've got all the lights on the stage and everything, when you're looking at it, it's just pitch black. Yeah. But you can see doors opening and you see people walking in and out and all this kind of stuff. And, <clears throat> so we saw, we're singing away, doing our thing, and we saw people come in. Obviously, we knew that people were coming in because we saw the door open and there's a white light and all this. And so then we finish, we finish doing what we're doing, and all of a sudden the lights come on. And we're just kind of talking and looking and all that. Then we're all kind of looking out there and we're like, shit, is that Brian May? <laughs> and everybody's all coming up man and we're all looking and it was just a weird it was just surreal it was the weirdest thing and he's sitting on his chair i mean he was a few rows back and he's sitting away back there and he's waving <laughs> he's like waving and we we're all i remember we were all standing up there going and waving back and it was like i guess yeah, that's brian mate and then it was roger taylor was with him and stuff man it was like damn man so we came down and uh, robin came in and said hey introduced everybody and Brian said he'd heard the demo and uh, really liked the band and wanted to produce the album. And we were just, yeah, we were shocked. We were like, really, shit, okay, yeah, saying is up, you know, kind of thing. So then we went away and for the next, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks later or maybe longer, they were getting organized. But then we were away in the studio for like the next three months doing the first album. So letting loose. So like, that's incredible. Like w working with like, it's like a, 
as, I mean, just knowing Queen's music and like the guitar work and how well that's like orchestrated, and oh, yeah. that's that's everyone in the band. But he's a huge part of it. So when it came to working with him, how did he kind of like aim producing you guys? Like, what was some advice? Well, he, he was he was more into the <coughs> the kind of because Queen, which I never knew at the time, but. Uh, but Queen really produced, whoever wrote the songs really produced the song, huh. you know, yeah. with the help of Mac. You know, obviously they brought, Brian brought Mac in as well because that was Queen's longtime producer uh, with them. But like, if Freddie wrote the song, then Freddie produced it with Mac. If Brian wrote the song, then he did the same, John, Roger. They, so they all did their own thing. But uh, it was he, was, he was, he was more into it. Obviously, he since he was a guitar player, he wanted it more guitar oriented and anything else. But uh, and he loved the vo- doing all the vocals with his. But he wanted it more raw, just like that seventies kind of feel, and just like the whole Queen thing with that all the overdub production, the other vocals and all that. But he liked that whole kind of raw kind of feel. But uh, which we were totally against. We kind of butted heads at first because at that time when we were in recording the album. Uh, there was people that we'd liked because we'd liked uh, Mike Stone for Journey, that did Journey and stuff like that. Yeah. And then uh, Tom Allen that was doing uh, Priest, who'd, who'd just done, uh, God, what was the big Priest album at the time? Uh, oh, God, I'm, I'm singing it in my head. You get there. You Got Another Thing Coming was on yeah. the album. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, God, what was the album called? Uh, I forget what that, but the eagles coming down, the big eagles yeah. swim, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. And uh, so we liked that. We loved that production. And at the same time, we were uh, kind of we were getting guided by Peter Mensch, who was Def Leppard's management, and so he was helping us. And so we would go. We ended up borrowing Rick Allen's drum kit to oh, to wow. play like to, to to use on the album. I can't remember why, but we ended up borrowing his big silver drum kit. And so we would hear bits of. Uh, pyromania yeah. you know what i mean and we were like what the hell you know and so so we were all into that whereas brian wanted that a lot kind of raw kind of thing you know and plus we liked martin birch i think martin birch was when the re- when we signed the record label uh to the record label i think one of the names are one of the first names that we brought up was martin birch because we loved maiden's uh, number of the beast album so much you know we were like no, no, that sounds awesome because well, yeah. we some guitar players, we want that sound, you know. But Martin couldn't do it because he went straight into doing the next uh, Iron Maiden album, so he couldn't do it, which kind of sucked. But but it was great that we got Brian and moved on with that, which was awesome. That's just to be able to pitch it to some of these people, you know what I mean? That's just oh yeah, cool. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was it was funny because I mean, it was basically okay. Here's a pen and a piece of paper. Who is it you want to produce the album? You know, you're going, what? Okay. So we're all, the fiveies are all writing names down, you know what I mean? And then he's then John Briley, the guy who was our A&R guy. He was like, okay, well, let's knock out some of these off and we'll go with this. And we, but then again, out of left field, we ended up with Brian, which was awesome. So that's awesome. And it's interesting because like when it's like your first, cause that was the first record Brian did, right? Yeah. And yeah. like, when it's like your first kind of like endeavor, it's like you want it to be like you don't like because raw. You've lived with raw, you know what I mean. All your demos are raw. You're yeah. in the, you're in the studio. You want to like 
use that studio tech, that studio gloss and that stuff you never yeah. have access to. So I can see like that being like the, you get like one guy. Yeah, just do it. And you're fine. And you're like, what? No, it can't be fine. I, I'm here to do the thing. <laughs> <laughs> the, like the internal battle of i need to like i need to rewrite it i need to repolish yeah. it or whatever like but but um that's incredible that's so like when it came to that second record um uh-huh. which had more of that polished feel and i know you guys pitched it for uh it was it was supposed to be the the cat that did uh bon jovi's records right oh yeah lance quinn we were yeah. supposed to yeah lance was the record label wanted lance to do it and we'd met up with lance and stuff and he was real cool, but Bon Jovi's album that went was so popular, was so successful for them that they wanted to rush straight into the next album. Right. And so we were, in fact, this is it's kind of crazy. We were like maybe a day away from like going to the airport to fly out to Philadelphia, and then all of a sudden it was all cancelled. And it was like, no, Lance, sorry, Lance is going to do Bon Jovi's new album, and. Uh, so we have to get somebody else. And we were like, what? So we went back to the, the drawing board. Brian couldn't do it because Brian was away doing the, the kind of magic tour and all that stuff where uh, Queen, they were doing that album. Uh, so we knew he was out. So we went back and started. Then the next guy that was going to do it, who agreed to do it, the whole thing became a huge headache, actually. But what I remember then... Uh, the Journey guy, uh, God, I mentioned his name earlier. Uh, I don't know the guy that yeah, did Journey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the guy did the, the the last couple of Journey albums that were huge. So uh, he said he wanted to do it because we'd approached him at the beginning, and so he he was he was getting brought in to do it, and then all of a sudden that went south because he ended up having to do something else, and then one of our friends was uh, the rap producer. And so we were going to get him to do it. And all of a sudden he couldn't do it because Atlantic wanted to keep him because they were forcing him to do something else. So he couldn't do it. And the whole thing was just becoming a nightmare for us, you know, because yeah. everything done and organized then in the, in the space of like a month, there was complete chaos, you know, whereas before we knew we were going to Philadelphia, we're going to do this album. Then after that, it was like, we couldn't get a producer. Because everybody was booked. Right. We couldn't do this, do that. So we eventually just sat there and just went, okay. Uh, one of our friends who we'd met as a guy called Mark Durnley, who'd worked with ACDC. And so we knew Mark very well. And uh, we spoke to Mark and he said, yeah, I'll come and I'll start doing all the basic tracks with you and stuff. And so we did that. So we did that with Mark. And then the record label flew over from America, Polygram listened to the stuff and felt like it needed more. So they decided that they were going to bring in a guy called John Jansen, uh, who became, and still, well, John's, John's dead now, but who became a really good friend of mine. John was the engineer for Meatloaf stuff. He did a lot of stuff with Meatloaf and a bunch of other people. And uh, so he was always one of the engineers for them. So they John had moved on to do certain things by himself, but it was totally different for our kind of music. But they brought John in, and he was just going to do the vocals. So I went back into SIR Studios up in uh, London uh, in Oxford Street. And so I went in there for a a month and re-recorded all the vocals again with him. And then uh, 
me and Gordon and everybody went to, John had a studio in New Jersey and we went to New Jersey to mix it. And, uh, and that's where it finally came out. So it took forever. Oh, yeah, that's... I mean, it was a nightmare. The whole yeah. thing was a nightmare. And uh, we, were, we were glad when it was done, but it just kind of sucked that we had to go through all the stuff that we had to go through to get it done. Yeah, like and, uh, the, the zigzag of, of that compared to the process before is... Yeah, is, yeah, because like I said, everything was everything was basically done with Lance, and then all of a sudden it was like, nah, I'll have to get... The record label wants me to go do Bon Jovi's new album, so we're, I'm out of here, see ya. Thanks. So, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we understood, but it was like, well, damn. Yeah. We just realized it was going to be as difficult to get somebody else after that. Right, right. Yeah, everybody else was booked. Mike Stone. That was a journey guy, Mike Stone. Mike Stone, okay. okay. So Mike had done Asia and Journey and all that kind of stuff. And so was, it, it kind of was the record already written or was it becoming? Oh, no, the record was written. Yeah, we'd yeah. written all the songs. Yeah, we'd already done all the songs. I don't think we wrote any songs in the studio. I can't remember. Okay. But I think mostly it was all done after we come off the lane with Gordon and Gary and Marcel had written some stuff on the tour bus, on the, on the tour, because we were away for about a year all over the world. Right. And then, uh, so we'd written some stuff. Gordon had ideas, Gary had ideas, I'm sure. And then we all get back to Glasgow and uh, we locked ourselves in the studio and started doing demos. And we started demoing all the stuff we had, letting the record label hear them. They would fly back and forward and say, no, that's great. That's, nah, write something else, do whatever. Um, so, yeah, if, if I remember correctly, I think all the songs were written by the time we went in the studio. Okay. Because, like, listening to, like, the first record in a song like Soul Survivor, like, the chorus on that, that, that kind of, like, almost matches maybe the, the production. It's, like, it zigzags back and forth in a really, like, ear-catching way. Like, was that, like... Did was that all together, like, or was that kind of bounced? Uh, yeah, like that song in particular, I was really like vocally like interested in like how that chorus hook came along. Is that something that you guys came up with on the spot in the demo, or was that like? Yeah, like, no, yeah, the day, the day, actually, tell the truth. I think if I think if you spoke to any of us in the band right right now, yeah, I think everybody would likely say that the demos sounded a million times better than the album. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. The way the way that we like to so I don't mean production wise and stuff like that. Just the actual songs. Song, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that we always thought the demos were stronger than uh, than what the album, what the versions on the album turned out. And uh, but you know, but obviously it sold a lot and people liked it, so it, it was good. But uh, but I I just. I thought I had a copy of the demos one time, but I don't. I guess I don't. I think Punky's got one, but uh, I remember one time we were all sitting years later and listening back and going, "God, man, that sounded good," you know, because it was Rockin' Dead and Soul Survivor were one of the. I think they were the two songs we first wrote, and uh, for the second album, and okay. in China Boy, and it was like, "Wow, okay, well they sound good." And when we recorded them, because we were just left to, to our own devices, just recording all the demos ourselves. Uh, we just booked in the studio in Glasgow and we'd go there every day and just uh, we'd hammer out the tunes and just get it to where it sounded great and send it to London and New York and they would come back saying good, bad, good, bad, whatever, yeah, you know. Yeah. Was that kind of the process, the three of you, like as far as like songwriting, would it come in like 
It would. I mean, sometimes, sometimes, I I don't, Gary and Gordon wrote a couple of songs by themselves. Uh, I mean, together. But most of the time it was me, Gordon and Gary. Like uh, Gary would come up with something musically, whatever. But mostly time would be Gordon would come up with the the music and then he would have a rough idea. Well, I've got this kind of melody. I don't know how it's going to go. Henry, what do you think of that? And then Gary would come in and go, well, let's try this. He'd have a piece of music and a bit of melody and then we'd just put everything all together. But uh, it was usually me, Gordon, and Gary, or else it was Gordon and Gary that wrote all the songs. Then, obviously, later on, Punky wrote a couple, and and Brian get involved in one or two towards the end. I think. Okay. Were you were you writing words on the spot, or was it kind of like humming a melody? Yeah, yeah. I would be humming all this stuff, and then I'd go away in the other room. Yeah. While they were while they were putting the music there, and I'd go away in the other room and get the finish up with all the lyrics and melodies and stuff. That's cool, because like it's 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 in, as a singer. When you're when you're in a band, like most people are like, oh, the front guy, he's fronting the band, he's telling everyone what to do, or she. It's like, um, but often it's like you're kind of like the riding the wave of like the music that's there and working yeah. with that foundation, and like, so it's interesting, like as like as a singer and a songwriter, you know, like to come in working with a band when you don't like. I, I do you play? Any other instruments? Uh, no, I mean, oh, yeah, okay. I can. Yeah, I, I play a guitar. I play acoustic okay. guitar. Just to mess around with. Not good enough to. Yeah. I mean, I can play all the chords and go. No, let's. I like this. Whatever, but no, I'm not an accomplished guitar player by any means. No. But that's it's such an interesting process because like I'm so used to see having a foundation to work off of. So like, yeah. and that and you're going, you're you're like jumping up to say I'm in the band again, like. Like from the just jumping into what's there, and that's like, yeah, that's a whole nother type of like, um, headspace to get in. That's amazing. Yeah. So, during like, uh, the first record, is that when you're like touring with like Kiss? Yeah, yeah. The first, yeah. the first album we did, uh, we toured with Kiss, uh, we did Ozzy, we did Kiss, Ozzy. I think over the first two albums, we did like Kiss, Ozzy, uh, White Snake, uh, Rat, we toured with Rat for a while. Yeah. We toured with Accept. We did a whole thing. Yeah. America. We did Accept in America. Uh, yeah, we took the first. We were spoiled. The first two albums we toured with everybody under the sun. So it was, it was, it was pretty cool. You know, um, I heard uh, Gene Simmons really took to your guys's tunes. The oh yeah, Gene, Gene. Yeah, Gene. Gene's awesome. Gene, Gene and he still is, but yeah. uh, he's a. Uh, in those days, it, it, he was kind of cool. He would he would send the songs, you know. He's like, I know your songs, are, I know your songs are really good, but here, and he sent tapes of songs he'd written for us and stuff. Yeah, and then yeah, and then kind of then he'd get upset that we never used them and stuff like that. So, but not in a bad way, you know. Yeah. It would jokingly, he's like, well, what about those songs I sent you? I sent your song, you didn't like it. You're like, no, no, we liked it, but we just liked our song. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, Gene was awesome. He used to, he loved the band. He loved the, I always remember talking to him one time and he's like, man, I love your logo. I love the name of the band. I love the logo. It, it's just awesome. It's not as good as Kisses though, but it's awesome. <laughs> That's the closest thing to the, the biggest compliment you can get from Gene yeah. Simmons. That's amazing. Yeah. He's like, I love your logo. Not as good as Kisses though, but I love your logo. <laughs> Wow. So like, it's interesting. Cause like, it's kind of like wild as kisses perceive. They're also very like, kind of like, um, 
to a T. I feel like they're very business oriented. Oh, yeah. They're very yeah, yeah. especially live, especially the. <clears throat> I think too the. I'd say this Kiss and the Scorpions are the most professional bands. I think. I mean, everybody's professional. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I think at that time, who when we played with some people, it was like kissing that they were just so focused. It was just so so professional from the everything that went on. You know, yeah. for lack of a better thing to say. But uh, but they they were just they were just great. I mean, like we toured with Motley Crue, and that was a totally different. I mean, everything was professional to get to get where you to to get them on stage, but the rest was just chaos all around us, yeah. which was awesome because we were party of that. But it was like, we, we kiss and stuff. It was, it was like, boom, no, this is a job. This is what we're doing. We show up, we play, we do this, we do that. Whereas a lot of the other bands we played, we, we were all crazy. They went on and played, then we were all crazy. And so. So I guess what's between like Motley Crue and Kiss, What's the kind of like Zen balance of like professionalism plus fun? Like, <laughs> is there is there what's some lessons I guess to take from the both? Like, it's okay to not worry about the hors d'oeuvres, <laughs> like, but you know they did read the contract. I think. <laughs> I think you one thing you learn is and and I and you you know I don't mean this the way it it sounds kind of thing, but because we were everybody was young. You know, so you're there, you're there having a great time, and and getting to go out and play in front of people is just a huge bonus. You know, yes. Yeah. I think with the kiss thing, it it really was a more professional. It was a job, not, a, and I don't mean it that because obviously they were happy and they're great and they were doing the thing, but it was like, hey, we're here, we're here to entertain everybody and do whatever, and this is what we're going to do. Whereas we us and like the crew and stuff, it was like. Yeah, we're here to do that as well, but we're having a good time also, you know? Okay, okay. <clears throat> all right. And sometimes sometimes that got out of, out of control a little bit, you know? Yeah. But uh, so so that would never have happened on the Kiss thing. Yeah. Kiss, you know, so. Like, I guess, like, just passing Ozzy, like, the, the being, like, a rock-oriented band and then to share a stage with Ozzy, like, I mean, I, I, I won uh, with all these big bands. I'd, I imagine there's a touch of opener syndrome because you're in front of Ozzy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. but like, like, was it like, I, I, like, did he like, did, did he give you like a nod? Like, that's, I'm glad you're here. Like, was he like, into yeah, yeah, no, I mean, we like had to, advice? Like, we basically, we basically, uh, uh, we had to audition for that, for that yeah? tour, for the tour. Yeah. And, and I, I, I don't mean that way. I mean, that's what it felt like, and, and that's I mean, it really, that's what it was. But it was like we were in rehearsals. Uh, I mean, we knew we were getting it and everything, all the, all the, the merchandise and all the, all, all the posters were getting made and everything was getting ready to get put out there for heavy petting and being special guests with, uh, with Ozzy Osbourne, but still... We needed Aussie's seal of approval yeah. before that that happened. And you know, don't let me say go. We'll go back a little bit. That we we met Aussie. Well, the rehearsal came first. I think we were in rehearsals in London, and uh, and 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 Sharon and Aussie came. Yeah, and they showed up, which was which was awesome in itself because Aussie turned yeah Aussie turned up in this blue 
Phantom Rolls Royce Corniche. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. And so he came in and they, because they all knew our manager. So everybody was friends and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> so, uh, so they, they, they were all talking, but so he was there to see us and listen. And so we ran through like four or five songs, I think, whatever. It could have been more. I don't think it was, but, but we ran through a bunch of songs and he loved it. Came up and we all spoke. And then maybe a month later, uh, was it? I mean, yeah, it was a little bit later. He was finishing off the Bark at the Moon album down at the, a studio in England. And we went down to the studio and hung out with him in the band in the studio while we were finishing the album. Yeah. And all went out for dinner and stuff. And, you know, and he talking about the tour and all this kind of stuff. And then eventually we went out and tour with him. So, so yeah, we had to audition for that. It wasn't that we just got it. It was a, you know, whereas other tours, we just get told, hey, okay, just you're opening up for these guys to go up. But the Aussie, we had to audition for the Aussie thing. That's so, so cool. Your rehearsals are where the be, man. <laughs> like, geez. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those two things. Yeah, those two yeah. times. <laughs> wow. So, like, but, what was the sign, like, uh, d- d- during, like, hanging out with them, eating, like, like they're wrapping up their records, so they're, I'm sure that, that's... Yeah, they're doing their thing, yeah. yeah. Like, like, was there any, like, bits of, like, seeing them do that, that you guys kind of found yourself doing, or found, like, wow, it's yeah, crazy, yeah, you're in that, that spot now. We all, I think individually, we likely took all different ideas into the whole thing. Yeah. You know, uh, what, what, what they did, because all these guys have been professional, they We'd only done the one album and been in little crappy studios before we get signed. So now you're in all these multi-million dollar studios and uh, <clears throat> and seeing guys that have done so many albums be do their thing, you know, and how they worked and how everything went. So I'm sure we all took different parts of that away when we would hang out and watch and stuff. But uh, but the whole the whole the whole vibe was great. We had we had a fantastic time. Did, uh, you know what? Watching Ozzy and stuff. Yeah. Did Ozzy do warm ups? Did you see like? I don't, I don't know. No. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if he did or not. He would just show up and go in and sing in the booth. Okay. So if he did, he and, didn't uh, do him around it. He didn't do him around anybody. Nah, he never done him around me. That's for sure. I don't know if he did him anywhere else. I never saw him. He just showed up and did his thing. So, which was awesome. Which was awesome to watch and hear. So, that's, yeah, that's. But like, I mean, what about any of the other? Like, did Kiss or anything do any pre like warm up stuff like that, or like Motley Crue? Or I don't know. No, I don't remember. I don't remember. Uh, okay. I don't remember if Kiss did stuff. I'm sure they did. I think everybody that's a professional singer. Yeah. I'm sure Paul did. Uh, I'm sure Gene did because you know what I mean. They yeah. they 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 do a lot of singing, so I'm sure there's a time that you. But, but even on the Kiss tour, it was like. You weren't really a- allowed to. We would see each other and hang out, but during a certain period of time, you, you couldn't. You never had access to them. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, so they would. So I'm sure they did their thing during that point, and then we would show up after they sound checked, and we would sound check and stuff, and you know. So it was crazy, and like when they were on, we weren't allowed to walk on the. What do you call it? We weren't allowed to come out of dressing room. So we weren't allowed to come out of the dressing room but before a certain for a certain period of time while they would go from their dressing room to the stage. So we would always be in our place waiting for them to 
come back and all that. So it was, it was, it was strange, but it was awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, there's no beating that. That's sick. That's yeah. as cool as it gets. Um, yeah. One, I guess, so in between, so the band goes for a while. There's the the whole Eurovision thing, and then oh, yeah. it kind of stops. But, like, you do a, a project called Dirty White Boy. With yeah, Earl's, yeah. Like, I, how'd that yeah. come around? I, I was in Los Angeles, and uh, Slick and I get introduced, and uh, the two years headed off, became good friends. <clears throat> we decided, well, let's put a band together. And so we did. And we ended up getting uh, Kenny Rogers out of, not Kenny Rogers, Kenny Richards out of. I was going to uh, say, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Kenny Richards out of Autograph. And then uh, Pete from, uh, God, what was Pete? Oh, God, Cheap Trick. Pete was in, he was playing bass in Cheap Trick at the time. And so we put this band together and, uh, Everything was going great. Wrote the songs, did demos and all that stuff. Ended up signing the MCA. And, uh, but then we were in the studio and I collapsed in the studio. I get sick in the studio. And then Slick and I had a long conversation. And uh, it's like, you know, hey, we're just going to move on. And I was like, hey, I, I totally understand, dude. I'm fine. That's cool. We remain friends and stuff. So they ended up getting another singer in. So, but yeah, so we did that, which was really cool. But we had a lot of fun. We're still friends, so which That's is good. Awesome. Yeah, was yeah. that like kind of a similar writing process as far as working with a group? Yeah, that, was just, that was just no. That writing process was just me and Slick. Okay. We were, yeah, we were in a rehearsal studio just ourselves every day. Okay. And just wrote some songs. That was it. A lot of cool slide slide action on on his. Yeah, That's he cool. does a lot of stuff. Slick, Slick was awesome, man. He's a cool dude. But uh, so and then comes this new record so going like or so there's a new record right i have just the yeah yeah we've got a new one coming. yeah we've got a new one that's coming out and uh which uh we're still looking for the label we're still we're still waiting on to sign what label we're going to sign to to do it but we've got all the demos done for it everything's done so we just need to go in the studio and uh do it then either we're going to go in and do it or else we'll just sign to the the label that we feels right and then just get them to distribute it for us, whatever we haven't decided what we're going to do. So like when you guys got back together um, for like, there was a couple of festivals you got together for, right? Yeah. Like yeah. We played a few festivals. Okay. Yeah. That was exciting to see if we want to see if we all uh, liked each other and got on well and, uh, <clears throat> and see if we could still do it. And we did. And the shows were great. And, then, you know, two th- that was 2017. Then 2018 came, and we did our first European tour, went back and did that, played the UK, played some shows in Europe, uh, went really well, did the same in 2019. Then we came to America, yeah. did some shows in America, did the Monsters of Rock cruise, and then we flew back to England to headline a couple of festivals, and that, by that point, it was 2020. The world and, shut down. Yeah, everything shut down. And I basically get the, I get the last plane out before the president closed everything down for coming into America. I get the last flight out for London. Yeah. Back to, back to, I was living in Texas at the time in Houston. So. Caught the, caught it at the right time. Yeah. But, uh, so at that point, like during like these tour, these tours and like, and around is that when you guys are writing new music was there like a, a buzz around like how oh, we can make new stuff or did that kind of come oh yeah no because we always had the intention we never wanted to be this kind of legacy band that just played 
other old stuff. We wanted to actually come out and, you know, and, and do a whole bunch of new songs and let everybody hear that, uh, you know, where we are now kind of thing. Because every, it's, like, it's like everything else. It's like everybody's better at their craft now than what they used to be. You know, better guitar players. I'm a better singer now than I used to be when I was younger. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> so everything's different. So, you, so that was our main thing. We wanted to push all that and let them hear all the new stuff. And so that's what we've been working on. It's taken us a while to get it together in between COVID and, and different things, people in the band leaving and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but we finally got it to where everything's cool and we get the songs done. And so now it's like we've got new management, so which is awesome, uh, based in America. So we've got new management coming out of America, uh, Sean Baruch. So it's Music Gallery International. So that's exciting. And... So everything's everything's on the up now. So we're excited to finally get the new stuff out and just show, let people hear how good it actually is. You know, I'm tired of telling people, no, 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 it sounds really, it sounds really good, honestly. Yeah. You know, it, it sounds great. <laughs> that, is, that is weird to be in that kind of limbo state of it. Oh, it exists. It's cool. You're going to love it. And just... <laughs> well, yeah. I'm, I'm excited, man. I'm excited to hear the whole thing. Um, thank you so much for taking so oh, much my time pleasure, man. Me, man. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it, baby. You take it light and uh, keep rocking. And once the album's out, we'll get it to you, and then we'll we'll hook back up and talk about it. Sounds like a plan. Yo, Spike Spiegel here. You just listened to Zig of the Gig podcast. Keep riding the bebop. See you, Space Cowboy. Bang.